going to turn in the Word of God this evening to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and the Gospel of Mark and chapter 1, and we'll read uh, some. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, commencing at verse 14, and in these verses, the verse 15 especially, uh, we see the message that the Lord Jesus Christ came and preached, and it was a message of repentance. And the Word of God says, Mark 1, verse 14, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now, as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets, and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants, and went after him. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of this evening. And let us unite together in prayer, and let us seek the Lord as we come and worship him this evening. Let us pray. <clears throat> our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee this evening we can come into Thy house to meet with Thee and to worship Thee. And we thank Thee, O God, tonight that we can read Thy Word, Thy Word which reminds us of the importance of repentance and turning from our sin. And Father, we thank Thee this evening that this table, the table of the Lord, is here before us because of Thy so great salvation, and because Thou didst work faith within our hearts, and that we did, because of Thy grace and because of the work of Thy Spirit within us, repent from our sin and place our faith and trust in the Savior. And tonight, O God, as we come to Thy table, we pray that we would be reminded of the great need to uh, repent, to have a life of repentance, to have a life that is focused not upon the sinful lusts of this world, uh, but a life that seeks to avoid such sin and to live for Christ and to repent of those sins that can so easily beset us. Father, tonight may we examine ourselves, and may we consider our ways, and may we, O oh God, as we come to Thy table, have our hearts prepared by Thee to receive the bread and to receive the cup that reminds us of the precious blood and the body of our Savior who died for us upon Calvary. 
And we rejoice tonight that it is a sure salvation. We rejoice that it is a salvation that has been accomplished. And the Savior there upon Calvary finished the work of redemption. We rejoice, O God, in that. And we thank Thee that He has delivered His people, and we can rest secure upon it. And we're not coming tonight to, to as it were, receive salvation or to top up salvation, but rather we come in a memorial to remember what Christ has done, because that work that He accomplished upon Calvary is sufficient for all of His people. Grace upon that Thou would bless us here as a congregation. We thank Thee we can come as brothers and sisters rejoicing not only what Christ has done, but rejoicing in what Christ has done for all of us and rejoicing in Thy so great salvation. And Father, tonight we pray we would have joy as we gather together and rejoicing uh, that the same grace that worked within each of us uh, worked within uh, each other as we partake together. Father, we, uh, our congregation, the needs that we have, we do especially remember uh, Father, our brother Vern tonight, bless him and place thy healing hand upon strength and help and presence of his Lord. We do remember also and the needs they have, remember Curry as well. And Father, draw near, we pray, and lift them up and encourage them uh, as our brother is currently in hospital. Father, we look to Thee as well for others who need Thy help and others who need Thy touch. We remember our brother Calvin Golliger. Uh, Father, we uh, pray that Thou would answer our cries and the cries of many uh, in regard to his healing. Uh, we do remember our brother Reverend Hamilton as well. Uh, be near to him and we pray that he would also know uh, the healing hand of the Lord upon him. Uh, Father, bless our sister congregations. Remember our denial. We think of what we've read here in Mark chapter 1. reminds us of the great need of men, men who are fishermen, and not in the sense that we have in this passage of going out in a ship, the spiritual sense of the Savior and Fishers of men, men who go with Christ, men who are preachers, men who are servants of the Lord. And Father, we see the great need of that, and not merely in our denomination, but we see it across this nation, and the need of men to be raised up by Thee to be true preachers of the gospel of Christ, to be true fishers of men. And we pray tonight that Thou would raise men up to call men into thy service, men who believe the great truths of Scripture, who are not ashamed of thy word, ashamed of thy gospel, men who will stand <laughs> for thee. And Father, we look at our vacant pulpits. We think of Port Hope and Calgary. We think of Phoenix and Arizona. And Father, there is this great need for men to be raised up, and we pray that in thy will thou would call men and challenge men uh, to go forward 
into this work. Father, bless us here, we pray, and bless the families of our congregation and meet our needs. And as we think of the year that lies ahead, give us opportunities to serve thee. Bless us in our labors. Father, we think of the physical labor that needs to be done here in this building over the next number of weeks. We pray that thou would bless as we come together and labor together to this end. We think of those who will come in from outside our congregation to engage in this work. We pray that we would be a witness to them and that as they come and labor in this building, uh, they would uh, hear and know and see something of the glorious gospel of Christ, uh, which can save their never-dying souls. Father, help us to be a witness, to be a witness in our uh, community, in society, in our workplaces, in our families, uh, to reach out with the gospel of Christ and to possess uh, the land for thee. Father, bless us and do us good as we continue in thy worship tonight. And uh, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Turning in our hymnals to hymn number two. The hymn two, praise my soul, the king of heaven to his feet, thy tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, who like me his praise should sing. We're coming to the Lord's table this evening and we come in praise because of the Lord's great deliverance for us. And so uh, let us sing, let us praise the Lord. There's an opportunity here for us as uh, the Church of Christ in this congregation to raise our voices and to uh, sing praise to God for his uh, so great salvation and for who he is, uh, the one who is the everlasting King. And the last line says, praise with us the God of grace. We're here tonight because of grace. We have this table here because of grace. And so let us sing and let us praise the Lord from the depths of our hearts. The hymn number two, standing to sing, please. <coughs>
you may be seated. We're going to turn this evening in the Word of God to Acts chapter 2, the Acts of the Apostles, and chapter 2. Here we have the day of Pentecost, that the Lord has moved in a great way, and Peter has preached. And it is believed, of course, many of the other apostles have preached as well. Uh, but Peter's sermon is recorded here, or at least a summary of his sermon. And we come now to the reaction of that sermon, and we'll read from verse 37. It is a sermon that has exalted the Savior, has set forth uh, the Jesus who had been killed by the Jews, but the one who is uh, the glorious Savior of sinners. And in verse 37, we'll have our reading. And the Word of God says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading tonight of his precious word for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. We do extend at this point in our service a word of welcome again to each one gathered in, and we trust the Lord will bless as we hear his word, as we worship him, and as we sit around his table later in this service. Do you remember uh, that we have a busy week here in the congregation? Uh, tomorrow commences our week of prayer, and we are having uh, an hour of prayer each evening, uh, Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday at 7 p.m. And then our Wednesday evening prayer meeting will be held in person as normal and on Zoom at 7.30 p.m. And so Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday are at 7 p.m. on Zoom, and the prayer meeting on Wednesday is unchanged. And I will be sending out an email tomorrow morning uh, with the details of 
uh, the various meetings and the link that you can use all week to log in uh, to Zoom to join us online. We encourage you to do so. It's good to pray. And even if uh, you don't want to pray publicly or pray on Zoom, uh, do come and join us and you can pray uh, privately and quietly in the depths of your own heart. Uh, you can come and support uh, those who will come and pray publicly. And of course, whether we pray privately or publicly, the Lord hears those cries. And so let me encourage you to come. Uh, don't be put off uh, that it's on Zoom. I think we're well used to Zoom now. Uh, but uh, do come along. Uh, you can have uh, your camera switched off like many do. Uh, but we can see that you're there with a the name and we'll be encouraged to see you uh, as we pray uh, together. So do remember the week of prayer. And then uh, in regard to the uh, preparation for the installation of the new carpet here at the church, uh, that installation is taking place. The installers come on the, uh, the week, Monday the 22nd of January. And so there's ongoing work over the next two weeks to remove the baseboards uh, to remove the old carpet as well. Uh, we're organizing various times. There is a list in the table with times that we will be working this week. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 6 p.m. We will be breaking for uh, the time of prayer. And so if you're here helping us out, uh, we can set up the camera, we can set up Zoom, and we can have that time of prayer with those who are here. I'll be bringing uh, just a short message um, a few verses, a couple of thoughts, not very long, and we'll be spending that time in prayer. Uh, but do come along and help with the carpet if you're free, if you're able to. Uh, we do ask uh, for you to put your name on the list to bring gloves and a knife, if possible. I think there will be spur knives, uh, but if you have a knife of your own, uh, bring it. And it is the intention, I think, to hopefully get uh, the bulk of the work done this week and to remove the carpet uh, in the main sanctuary where we worship in preparation uh, for uh, those coming in two weeks' time uh, to replace uh, the carpet. And if we do all this work ourselves and labor uh, in regard to the installation of the carpet, it uh, helps uh, the church and helps us uh, to save uh, quite a substantial amount of money because the installers don't have to uh, prepare uh, the building for to place the carpet. Uh, so do come and help. Uh, a Saturday as well, 8 a.m., there'll be those here engaging in that work. <clears throat> These are all the announcements and the subject to the will of God. We're going to turn in our hymnals uh, to our offering hymn, the hymn 312, the hymn 312, I was trying to make a change uh, for the hymn, and I ended up putting 312 down twice and putting a hymn, uh, two hymns for the offering, but we're singing 312 now, and uh, we're singing 441. Uh, the bulletin was ready to print and waiting to print, and I thought I need to make a change here and swap these two hymns around, and it didn't work out too well, and the printer was giving me trouble as well. And so we're singing 312 now, and we'll sing 441 later. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and we'll remain seated while our tithes for the Lord's work are received, please.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful tonight that we are gathered here to worship the Savior, the one who loves us and cares about us. Thank you, Lord, for these uh, tithes and these offerings. We pray that it will be used to uh, expand your kingdom and to spread the gospel news. Bless it, Lord, for your glory and for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll stand to sing, and we'll sing from verse 2, and verse 2 and 3, standing, please. be seated. We're turning tonight again to Acts chapter 2, the Acts of the Apostles chapter 2. And the question is asked, verse 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then in verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, repent. Let us unite together in prayer, and let us pray and ask for the Lord's blessing to be upon us. 
Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee tonight that we can come to thy precious word. We rejoice, O God, that we can open thy truth. We have the freedom to preach thy word and to consider these doctrines. And we pray tonight that as we come to thy table, as we consider one of these doctrines that remind us of our salvation, that also reminds us of our sanctification, that, Father, we would be drawn to the table of the Lord, rejoicing in all that the Savior has accomplished for us. Father, bless us. We pray that thou would speak to those outside of the kingdom of God. Drive thy word home to their hearts, we pray. For us as thy people, we beseech thee that thou would speak to our hearts as well. We realize that not only is repentance a subject that the world hates to hear, but we realize it is also a painful subject for us as thy people to consider if we find ourselves in great sin and disobedience against thy name. And so, Father, we pray that we would know thy grace, we would know the speaking voice of thy Spirit, that thou would strive with us, we pray, and glorify thy name through the preaching of thy truth. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. The doctrine of repentance is often misconstrued, ignored, or developed errantly in its understanding and in its presentation by many within the Christian church. And this doctrine itself is essential to our understanding of salvation, of sanctification, and evangelism. In short, we must get it right. We must get it right. We could simply describe repentance as a turning from sin that is fundamental to our salvation. The Westminster Shorter Catechism explains that repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. It is defined as well as a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled to work within the heart and visibly reform. There is that outward turning from sin. Repentance is a grace. It is a spiritual gift. The Westminster Larger Catechism, it says, what is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God, whereby out of the sight and sense not only of the danger but also of the filthiness of his sins and upon the apprehension of God's mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, he so grieves for and hates his sin as that he turns from them all to God, purposing and endeavoring constantly to walk with him in all the ways of new obedience. And so that builds a little bit upon the shorter catechism. It adds more knowledge and more truth and a greater explanation of what repentance is. And immediately, we must contemplate that this doctrine has much more depth than simply 
turning from our sin at the point of salvation. It is vital for the younger generation to understand that repentance is a lifelong practice for the believer because we are not immune to the temptations of sin and the snares of sin. It is also vital for those who are not the younger generation. And, well, maybe the younger generation stretches uh, quite liberally uh, to, from a child to, I'll not make any assumptions. And whether you see yourself as an older person, an older generation, or you're still part of the younger generation, I'll let you categorize yourself. It is also vital for you to understand and to continually refresh yourself in the importance and the essentiality of the doctrine of repentance because it is vital for your sanctification and for your walk with God. The 17th century Puritans placed a significant emphasis upon godly living, living spiritual lives to the glory of God. Thomas Watson is one of the better known Puritans and he is one of the easiest to read and understand. His three volumes set, The Body of Divinity, is an essential Christian classic. He deals with the shorter catechism and those questions of doctrine at the start. Then he moves into the Ten Commandments, a separate volume, and then into uh, the Lord's Supper, the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer, actually, and deals with the rest of the catechism. And in 1668, he published a work that was entitled... The Doctrine of Repentance, in which he gives a practical analysis of this doctrine. And that work is seen as being so vital to an understanding of what repentance is that uh, the Banner of Truth publishers have reprinted it eight times since 1994. Nine times, if you were to include uh, the late 1980s as well. And in his remarks to the reader, Thomas Watson writes, The two great graces... Essential to a saint in this life are faith and repentance. Faith and repentance preserve the spiritual life as heat and radical moisture do the natural. Repentance is never out of season. Never out of season. And he closes those remarks directing attention to this issue as a matter of our soul's well-being. And he calls himself, he signs off, as it were, the well-wisher of your soul's happiness. He was a man who loved souls and sought to direct them in the ways of God regarding the doctrine of repentance, the well-wisher of your soul's happiness. And in typical Puritan fashion, there are practical remarks that apply this doctrine to our hearts. Watson's exposition of this doctrine is not what many would say just dry theology. Of course, theology should never be dry because it brings us closer to the Savior, but his exposition of repentance is warm-hearted instruction with the purpose of bringing us closer to God, which, as I've said, is really the aim of all theological study. And so, when we think of that book, Thomas Watson, The Doctrine of Repentance, it should be something we could consider reading as the people of God. Why do I draw attention to this book? Well, I was asked a couple of months ago to write a book review for our magazine in the church in Northern Ireland. And I wondered what I could write a review of. I thought, well, Thomas Watson, Body of Divinity, 
and I got sent through uh, some of the book reviews they had done in previous months, and it was already done. Uh, so I had to think of another book, a book that had been a blessing uh, to me personally, and I thought of this book, Thomas Watson, The Doctrine of Repentance. And in that review, I asked the question, why should you read this book? Why should you read this book? Well, there's a number of reasons. To truly know and define repentance. And as the people of God, we need to know what repentance is. We need to be able to define repentance. If you're outside of Christ, you need to know what repentance is. You need to be able to define it. And Watson in his book deals with counterfeit and true repentance. Those who fake repentance are those who teach that it is something that it is not. And he reminds us that true turning from sin, which is what repentance is all about, is such a turn that has no return. Such a turn that has no return. In other words, if you are genuinely moved about the guilt of your sin and leaving that sin behind and turning from that sin, your turn from that sin will not result in a U-turn later on. There's no return back to that sin by the grace of God. But we find today that repentance is often not biblically defined, understood and preached, even in evangelical circles. And so there is a need for the Puritan, which is in reality the biblical understanding of what repentance is. A turning from sin. Not a turning from sin today about some particular sin and disobedience to God in your life and tomorrow you wake up and you do it again and then you repent again and I'll turn from that and for a few hours you walk that righteous path and you leave that sin behind and then suddenly you do another U-turn and you come back to that sin and you engage in it again and then you realize it was wrong and you turn from it again and you walk and then in the evening you come back to that sin and it's in your mind again. It's in your thoughts again. It's in your actions again. And you engage in it. And then you repent and turn away from it. And what happens later on? Well, the same thing happens. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. It's a feeling, the guilt of sin, but it's not true repentance. And true repentance by the grace of God is a turning that has no return. We need to know it and define it. We need to understand the necessity of repentance in your life. Thomas Watson deals with a serious exhortation to repentance. He sets out the absolute necessity of repentance for all persons. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. We preached on that uh, some months ago. No exceptions. No exceptions. All men everywhere must repent. And he details that repentance is necessary for the people of God. We are encouraged to repent of vanity, a critical spirit and decay in our spiritual life. And thirdly, to motivate you to practically apply the doctrine of repentance. And he sets out powerful motives to repent. He says, without repentance, nothing will avail us. What good is knowledge without repentance? Knowledge, he said, without repentance will be but a torch to light men to hell. 
When we think of Thomas Watson, preachers find him extremely quotable. Believers have been blessed by even the briefest reading of his writings. And we're to approach such things with prayer. To approach his doctrine of repentance with prayer. An open Bible for the scripture proofs. A humble heart. And be willing to learn even the toughest lessons about turning from sin. Tonight as we come to consider repentance. There are tough lessons for us to learn. As we come to the Lord's table we're to examine ourselves. And therefore thinking of repentance is a subject that brings us to the Lord's table. Because Paul said examine yourself. And if we examine ourselves and we find sin within our lives, what are we to do? We're to repent. Repent. And so this is where we find our subject this evening in reading through Thomas Watson and the Doctrine of Repentance. I was touched by chapter 6, which is a serious exhortation to repentance. And that summary, I gave those three summaries why you should read this book. And of course, I could have said much more, but I was limited to 600 words. And so I had to cut down some of what I had to say and to get it all into around 647 words. It's supposed to be around 600. But I thought of that middle point to understand the necessity of repentance in your life. And that's what we need to do. Dear believer, not just those who are outside of Christ, but you and I as well, we need to understand the necessity of repentance for salvation and for our close walk with God. And so this is where we find ourselves this evening. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. The gospel has been presented, and the congregation in verse 37 have been pricked in their heart. And that word pricked in the Greek, verse 37, means to pierce. It means to pain the mind sharply. The word of God was preached. The truth was presented to them and it caused conviction. They were not happy about this. The preaching of the word of God pained them. Often that can happen. But it is the work of the spirit of God. The work of the spirit of God. They were convicted of sin. And what does Peter say? He answers their question. They say, what shall we do? And he says, the great answer to conviction. Repent. Turn. Turn from your sin. Turn unto Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from sin. A lifelong turning from sin. And the gospel commands sinners to turn from sin unto the Savior. In Acts 3 verse 19, the Savior says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Another great proof text of the need to repent. Of the need to repent. Watson said, Though faith is wrought first in the heart, doubtless repentance shows itself first in the Christian's life. He said it is a spiritual medicine involving the sight of sin by which a man comes to himself and recognizes his sin. It is a sorrow for sin. The agonies of the heart express sorrow for sin, not a craving after it. Or nowadays, as we often see on media, a positive reaction to sin. It is a confession of sin. It's not merely saying I'm sorry, but resolving to no longer act in that way of sin again. It includes shame for sin. This is what the world doesn't understand. There is shame for heinous sins. 
But sin has become acceptable today. There's no desire to repent. There's no necessity that men and women think that there needs to be to repent from sin. It's a way of life. It's what we do. It's acceptable in society. But it's not acceptable to God. There's to be a hatred of sin. The penitent heart hates his sin. And there's to be a turning from sin, a full turning unto God. And so this is a necessary doctrine. It is a necessary work. It is necessary for salvation. To be saved, we must repent. But I want you to notice then this evening the necessity of repentance. The necessity of repentance. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, the verse 5. The tower of Siloam fell and slew. And there was an accusation that because they were sinners above all the Galileans, that this is why this tragedy struck them. And the Savior said, Luke 13, verse 3, verse 5, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And the Savior emphasizes then the need of repentance. It doesn't matter who is good or bad in the eyes of the world. It matters about God's standard. And God's standard tells us there must be repentance. The Savior himself said that there needs to be repentance. It doesn't matter about these individuals in regard to ourselves. It matters about us, you and I, have we turned from our sin. Thomas Watson said, There is no rowing to paradise except upon the stream of repenting tears. Repentance, he said, is that qualification. Till sin be bitter to you, Christ, he said, will not be sweet. Repentance is necessary. And so I want you to see uh, this evening, uh, first of all, that repentance is necessary for all sinners. It is necessary for all sinners. And you may say tonight, well, yeah, that's, that's great for me. Because repentance then is not necessary for me because I'm not a sinner. And many in this world will say that. Repentance is necessary for all sinners. And many in the world will say, I'm not a sinner. Therefore, what you're saying does not apply to me. I do not need to repent. And I've got the better of the preacher. And I've got the better of God. Because I'm not a sinner, repentance is irrelevant to me. The Word of God tells us, for all have sinned. For all have sinned. That word, all, it means all. It doesn't just mean this side of the congregation, all of this side. And doesn't mean you. It doesn't mean all in the pulpit which is me and not you, it means everybody. For all have sinned. Everyone in the world, everyone who's ever been born, for all have sinned, Paul said, and come short of the glory of God because of our original sin through Adam. We are born sinners and we've come short of the glory of God and that phrase means a missing of the mark. There is God's high standard and we have missed. We have missed. During the... Christmas, New Year holidays, I was in Calgary uh, with uh, my sister-in-law and her husband, 
uh, my father-in-law and uh, the nieces and nephews. Hannah was there, of course, as well. And there was a few Nerf guns lying around. Children and teenagers love Nerf guns. The adults love Nerf guns too, uh, sometimes. And so I was sitting in the chair. I had very little to do. And I picked up one of the Nerf guns. I loaded it. And my young niece was lying on the couch. And I thought, I'm going to shoot her, not in the face or anything, uh, but just shoot her back. And so I aimed very, very carefully. And I thought, I'm going to hit her. I don't want to miss. And I aimed planning to hit the mark, I'm about to fire, and the other niece shouts out, Juliana, he's going to shoot you. And of course, I fire, she turns around to see what's happening, and the bullet misses her completely, completely missing the mark. And that's really what the apostle is saying here. The mark is God's standard, and we've missed it. And we've missed it badly. We've missed it badly. Of course, my niece wanted to see the Nerf gun, and I showed her how to use it. I'm not sure if that was a good thing or not. And she had the loaded Nerf gun. And what does she do? She points it at me. And she doesn't miss the mark. And she enjoyed not missing the mark. But we miss the mark. We can think of a bow and arrow. And we can think of many things in life. Missing the mark. And this is what the apostle is saying. Because we've sinned. Because you've sinned. And I've sinned. When it comes to the mark of God. And his holiness. And reaching that mark that we need to be saved. We fall short because of our sin. It is unattainable. It cannot be reached by you and I. We fall short every single time because we are sinners who sin. We are sinners who sin. Turn with me to Acts 17 and the verse 30. And we preached on this passage some months ago, as I've said, the apostle is preaching to those who were idolaters and had no idea of the truth of the gospel. He brings it to them. He tells them that it was God who created the world, who sent his son to be their savior. Verse 30, and in the times of this ignorance, God winked at or he ignored. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. There is a command from God our creator to every man, to every woman, to every young person to repent without exception. Without exception. Because all have sinned. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that sin has affected our lives in such a way that all of us have been commanded to repent of our sin. Repentance is necessary for every sinner. Every sinner. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 13 verse 18, Say unto the king and to the queen, you don't need to repent. That's not what Jeremiah says. He says this, Say unto the king and the queen, Humble yourselves. Sit down, for your principality shall come down, even the crown of your glory. Humble yourselves. There is a humbling needed. We can think of the king and the queen and the positions of royalty. Even those individuals need to repent of sin. 
They're not above God. They're not exempt from this command to repent. We can think of Zedekiah, 2 Chronicles 36, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet speaking from the mouth of the Lord. The prophet came and warned of his sin and what did Zedekiah do? No repentance, no humility, no listening, no hearkening and, re- and judgment came. Judgment came. Thomas Watson speaking of England in the 1600s, he said, repentance is necessary for the villainous sinners in the nation. England needs to put itself in mourning and be humbled by solemn repentance. What horrible impieties are chargeable upon the nation? We see persons daily listing themselves under Satan. Not only the banks of religion, but those of civility are broken down. Men seem to contend, like the Jews of old, who should be the most wicked? He looked upon society, a Puritan society, in many ways, where the word of God was preached. I've started reading uh, Puritan sermons, um, not uh, Puritan sermons in the sense of the sermons Puritans have written, but Puritan sermons is a collection, six volumes of sermons that were written by the Puritans, specifically the morning exercises at Cripplegate. That's what it's called. And that does not mean the Puritans went and they ran around Cripplegate and they did their star jumps and they got their morning exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. And so early in the morning, before the work of the day, they came together in this particular place for a morning spiritual exercise to hear the word of God, to hear God's truth preached to them. And those sermons have been written down and published over the years. I was looking a copy uh, for a long, long time and never got around to getting one. They're a little hard to get, but I got a digital copy and that's what I've been reading. It saves a lot of room. It means I can carry it with me and that is good. But they came in the morning, early in the morning to meet with God. Such was some of the godliness within the nation, but yet Thomas Watson looked at the ungodliness and how great it was as well. How great it was. He said that if the book of the law fell to the ground, the Jews had a custom in those days to proclaim a fast. He said, England has let both the law and the gospel fall to the ground and therefore they need to fast and mourn before the Lord. And yet in Puritan England, we see much godliness, but yet that is what he said of his nation. I say, therefore, with Mr. Bradford, he said, he's a reformer who was martyred. Repent, O England. Repent, O England. You must needs go and wash in the spiritual Jordan. You have kindled God's anger against you. Repentance is needed for great sinners. If you're a sinner tonight who who has sinned greatly against God, against people, against the law of the land, there's a need for repentance. There's a need for repentance for those who deceive, for those who lie, for those who are upstanding in society. Watson speaks of men who have no visible spots. They look clean and holy, free from gross sin. But yet God looks upon the heart and sees the filthiness. One would think they don't need to repent, yet all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There are those who look good 
maybe tonight you look good. You look like a believer. And you look like someone who is holy and righteous and you have repented, but yet in your heart you know that's not true. You know there's sins that you hold on to. Sins that please you more than keeping the holy law of God. There are hypocrites who need repentance. Maybe there are those, and Paul warns against this. And we'll mention this later. Paul warns against this. Those who take the table of the Lord unworthily. And again, building on that thought of those who look without spot. Those who look righteous. And they take the Lord's table unworthily. They're not supposed to. They take it unworthily. But their heart is far from God. Watson calls it, he says, hypocrisy is the counterfeiting of sanctity, of spiritual life. And he said, the hypocrite that plays a pious man needs to repent. Tonight, all sinners need to repent. Have you repented? Have you turned? Will you look at the Lord's table tonight and think of the Christ who died for sinners, the one who can heal you, the one who can wash you clean in his own precious blood? We see here secondly, and our time is moving on, we'll be very brief on this thought. We see secondly, it is necessary for all sins, all sins. We can think of that original sin that has been passed down through Adam in the garden, that sin that is upon us all, for all have sinned, that sin coming from Adam. We can think of Romans chapter 3 and what it says about sin and the filthiness of sin. And repentance is necessary for all sin. Watson said, in particular, let us lament the corruption of our will and our affections. Let us mourn for the corruption of our will. Let us grieve for the diversion of our affections. Let us grieve for the inclination of our affections. Our love, he said, is set on sin and our joy on the creature. Instead of on God's righteous law, instead of upon the Savior. And when we think of sin, our heart and the state of our heart leads us into sin. And repentance is necessary for great sins, but it's necessary for little sins also, for those sins that no one sees, and for those sins that we think we can get away with. The sin of stealing from our employer, stealing time, the sin of a bad attitude, the sin of perhaps cursing someone in our minds. They've frustrated us, they've annoyed us. They've maybe rebuked us for something that we've done. And in our minds, we have our hand around their throat and we're squeezing. 